Welcome to the Lead, Defend podcast, a show designed to help you grow in faith and leadership as you navigate the stages of young adulthood. We address important faith topics and provide practical life tips, helping you build up your faith as you engage a changing culture. Now, here are your hosts. Hey, this is Ryan and Brock, and we're here with the Lead Defend Podcast. We've got Bobby Conway with us, and Bobby, it's just exciting to have you here. Your wife, Heather's here with you in town also at Lead Defend, and uh, man, just just tell us how you came to be passionate about apologetics. Yeah, thanks for having me on, bro. Super stoked to be on with you guys. Yeah. I didn't know what apologetics was the first time I heard the word. In fact, I can remember sure, I was Brock driving... Brock still can't spell it, so... <laughs> yeah, it's well, tough. A lot of people can't. I don't know where the Z goes. I was driving down <laughs> the freeway in Southern California, not long after becoming a Christian, where I grew up, and I was listening to the Christian radio show, and uh, the pastor on the radio mentioned the word apologetics, and it confused me. It made no sense as a new Christian. Why are they saying sorry? Yeah, why are they saying sorry? And I began to learn that, no, it really just means to give a defense for what it is that we believed. I didn't realize how important that would become to me until I went off to Bible college in Arkansas. So I leave California, go off to Bible college in central Arkansas, and I had a campus ministry at UCA where I would go out and personally share Jesus with about 50 to 100 people a week. Wow. And I would walk up to people cold turkey and just ask them questions and connect. And I got stumped all the time. And their questions would become my study guide. And I would just start studying answers to their questions. And then I would start learning about apologetics that way. Well, you fast forward several years down the road when I would suffer in my own season of doubt that I never thought was possible. Uh, What happened to me is apologetics was a tool that could help me as a doubter in my own dark night of the soul. Hmm. So I really feel like apologetics can be a win on a number of fronts. It can help the non-believer remove obstacles getting in the way of the cross. It can help the believer eliminate doubts that emerge in their walk with Christ after becoming a Christian. Because a lot of times we become a Christian... Uh, like me, I just wanted two questions answered. What do I do with my guilt? What's the purpose of life? Well, depending upon the denomination you become a part of, that box might be really, really tight with a long list of what you need to believe, and you just sign on the dotted line, but you never really thought through that. Down the road, you start thinking more, you start reading different books, and now you start wondering, man, about the box you've been put in. And I think it can be really challenging for people. So doubts can be helped tremendously with the tool of apologetics. Wow. So, Bobby, you were a student at Central Baptist College, doing ministry at UCA. Now you're in Charlotte, North Carolina, pastoring. Yes. And there's been a lot of life that's happened in between there. Yeah. And you've written a book, actually, on doubts. Mm. Uh, what's the name of that book? Doubting Toward Faith. Doubting Toward Faith. And and some of that comes from your own experience with doubts. Yeah. And, and so just tell us a little bit about, man, why is doubt such an important topic in Christianity? A lot of people doubt, obviously, yeah. and especially in the culture that we're living in. We're living in a melting pot culture. Mm-hmm. We're in the midst of a moral revolution. 
Uh, there's all kinds of transformation. We're seeing apostasy like never before. Define that for folks. Uh, people that are just walking away from being a Christian. Yeah. Uh, they're either moving into a form of progressive Christianity that wants to kind of hold on to Jesus but ditch doctrine wow. and ditch morals but keep Jesus. It's just kind of giving Jesus an, uh, you know, an update, mm. uh, United mm. States style, where Jesus kind of uh, is created in our own image. Yeah. So what ends up happening in our culture, doubt is very prevalent. And it, it, you're seeing lots of pastors uh, go the way of culture. And we're living in just a very disorienting, disorienting time. I mean, you think back to like, pre-Reformation era, where everybody believed kind of in God. Mm -hmm. It was unthinkable to, to not believe in God. Mm. But then in the modern era with modernity, and now you shift into where we live, uh, you've got a lot of people who feel like, okay, but is there something more? So some people, the pendulum swings from believing in God to there is no God, but then for them, they wonder, is there something more? But then for those that believe, they wonder, but how can I be sure that this particular belief is the right belief? And that creates a pool of doubts that many people are swimming in. Wow. And I think that apologetics can help kind of clean up some of that muddy water. That's yeah. a good word. Is it wrong to doubt? No, not at all. Uh, I think there's a, a way that can be wrong to doubt. Sure. And I think that there is a way that we can doubt that's just being authentic to what we're experiencing. Yeah. So in the book of Jude, be merciful to those who doubt. Mm -hmm. um, I think that we shouldn't celebrate doubt. Like I think the progressive Christians, they're just celebrating doubt. Wow. I hated my doubts, guys. Mm -hmm. I mean, I hated my doubts. It, it was like something that plagued me. Uh, and I wasn't looking to doubt so that I could move beyond my faith. I yeah. mean, I, I was just reading so much that I could not track down answers to my questions fast enough. So yeah. my brain was producing questions faster than I could get the answers to. And what was happening in my life is I needed to learn how to come to terms with the fact that I'm not all knowing that I, that a quest for certainty is a fool's errand wow. that, that doubt is not just a Christian problem, it's a human problem. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the absence of certainty, there's room for doubt. And so I just had to take these doubts that were in my heart and learn to celebrate the things that I could know. Wow. Mm -hmm. And I had to learn how to live and be okay with not knowing everything, yeah. and but not committing intellectual suicide, Sure. not making an excuse to not study, but at the same token, not using my studies to try to conquer God and put him in my systematic box. Yeah. Hey, you made a statement that doubt isn't a Christian problem. It's a human problem. Can yeah. you elaborate a little more on that? Yeah. So, for example, when I was in the whore of my doubt, I would have to ask myself questions like, if I wasn't a Christian, what am I going to do? Like, what what's my option? And that's yeah. what begins to happen. You start getting pinched. And anybody that's doubting, if a Muslim is doubting being a Muslim, or if a Mormon's doubting being a Mormon, uh, well, they're going to begin to think about, can I live as a Mormon? Can I live as a Muslim? Well, as a Christian, I was asking myself, can I, can I live with these doubts? Wow. Can I resolve some of these doubts? But I found myself at, 
asking the question, well, let's just say I was to become an atheist. What type of questions would I inherit? Hmm. So I would go through the thought experiment and I think, okay, well, I think that one thing that, you know, the atheists object to Christians on a lot is how could a good God, you know, not intervene in Holocaust? How could he let so much suffering happen? Okay, well, then I would think, yeah, but if I became an atheist, now you have no ultimate justice. So Pol Pot, Mussolini, Hitler, all these guys, like, they just get away with it. So as a Christian— It's not, it's not evil. We just don't like it. Yeah, I sit there and I go, well, okay, uh, at, at least on Christianity, I go, God's might not intervene at the time that I want, but there is ultimate justice. Mm, yeah. On atheists, there is no justice. And there, what the, the question of justice— Really, why are we even having the conversation? Because justice requires an ultimate standard wow. that only God can give us. So I would go through those thought experiments with wow. these different beliefs, and I started going, man, to walk away from Christianity, I'm only going to inherit a bunch of other questions that are, that are going to plague me. That's So I was like, that's not the answer. Yeah. And then I thought agnosticism seemed really appealing. And I could just play the skeptic and go, you can't know. But then I thought, you know what, even the agnostic hmm. isn't agnostic that there is an expl explanation. They just want to say they don't know what that is. And I thought I would rather give my life to the best explanation wow. hmm. than to just never give my life to any explanation yeah. at all. There is an explanation. I'm going to figure out what I think the best explanation is and give my life to it. And I think Christianity is that explanation. You know, Bobby, what I appreciate is, is you're talking about doubts. You're talking about a thoughtful way of, of working through doubts, not just a, uh, I, I don't want to disparage this, but it's not just a blind trust. You're saying, mm -hmm. no, I'm, I'm really wrestling. I'm really wrestling mm. and finding some evidence. You mentioned th there are some things I maybe won't have answers to, and you've become okay with that. Mm -hmm. For a person wrestling with doubts right now, they feel like their list of questions and doubts is significant. Where, where do they start? Mm -hmm. I think what you can do is step back when you're hammered with doubts. And I would begin to just write down the doubts. And then what I would look for is a pattern. So let's say somebody felt overcome with doubts and they would write down 30 doubts that they feel like they're having in the form of questions. Mm -hmm. And then I would start to look for a pattern. And what they might begin to find is, wow, I'm having a real problem with, with concept of why doesn't God answer our prayers or why bother praying? So the whole free will thing. Others might say, oh man, it's just the moral stuff. You know, why does God care so much about our sex yeah. life? Why does God care about morality? And so I'm really struggling feeling like the God's unrelatable. The moral boundaries that he has for us just don't fit the culture that I'm living in. Or it could be something like the justice of God. And it comes to things like hell uh, and those things. So I think you can find that and then you can begin to live there mm -hmm. uh, and, and figure out how is it that you can, um, you know, find answers to some of these questions that make sense for you. And so for me, there are hard questions, but 
it gives me comfort just to be able to concede some things. Like I can, having gone through the doubts, I can say, hey, you know what? Yeah, I don't have everything figured out about my faith. And um, you could ask me a lot of questions and I could scratch my head and, and you might have a lot of good points on some things. But here's what I do know. Um, you don't have everything figured out in your belief system either. Wow. Uh, there's some questions that you have. You're not the uh, only one that, that, that can ask questions here. Uh, I could ask questions. We all have to give a defense for what it is that we're living for and why we think it's worth living mm-hmm. for. And I'm just trying to offer you what I think. And as a Christian, I happen to think that this fits. And I can say things like, you know, my feelings, I can be empathetic to the where the culture's at on some things. I can't imagine what it would be like, for example, to have same-sex attractions and to be told that, you know what, you can never marry somebody because of that. I, I can feel for somebody in that way, but I can't let my feelings drive. I have to look and go, this is what the Bible says. Wow. And ultimately, I'm always trying to submit my thoughts and my feelings to the Bible. And that's just called being faithful. And the moment I start feeling like the Bible needs to fit my feelings and thoughts for me to surrender to it, then I'm going to get into a real problem. Yeah. I think oftentimes there are some feelings attached to doubt also. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean feelings of discouragement, feelings of longing. How did you wrestle with those in your own season of doubt? Part of the doubts that I was struggling with, guys, that was really hard, it was relating to the bizarre in the Bible. Wow. I, I found myself reading the Bible a lot, and I was feeling like, okay, you know, I'm, here I am, fast forward, I mean, a four-year master's degree at Dallas Seminary, and, you know, I, I, now I'm out working on my second doctorate degree. I'm doing a PhD in philosophy, and I'm studying Nietzsche and Freud and Darwin, and I'm, I'm just in the throes of all this stuff, right? And as I'm looking to try to make sense of things, and I think apologetic seeks to make sense of things, I think that we can do a good job of making sense of, okay, it makes more sense that the universe came from a being Mm -hmm. than out of nothing. Mm -hmm. Or it makes more sense that you can ground morality in a God than just say that you can have objective morality on our own. I think Christianity makes better sense of, of so much more. But one area that can be hard is when it comes to what I call the bizarre, yeah. the apparent ridiculous, like Shamgar taking out 300 people mm-hmm. uh, with an ox goad. I mean, there are so many weird things in the Bible that sure. I couldn't relate to. Yeah. Yeah. So on one side, I'm going, I feel like I'm just like committing intellectual suicide by not acknowledging that this is bizarre. Mm. So it really challenged me and how... Am I going to live with that? Because I think apologists in general do a great job of giving a rational defense around what seems rational. And then at the same token, there's a lot in the Bible that just doesn't seem doesn't like seem it rational. makes sense. Yeah. And it doesn't seem rational. Wow. And so I found myself going, how do I have an apologetic for the seemingly absurd? Mm. And even in that, it seems like there is this sense where God invites us into the apparent ridiculous. Mm. And when we step out in faith and trust him in the seemingly absurd, then he comes through and he meets us. And in the Bible, there were hyperactive seasons where God was asking people to do things that were extra ridiculous. But what helped me, not only that, is the things that seem so Christian-centric, in its ridiculousness to me, I started studying A&E, like ancient Near Eastern culture, yep. and I started realizing that 
the whole world was bizarre and wow. God was just meeting them. So to give you an example of this, take Abraham being told to sacrifice Isaac yeah. and in church say, Oh yeah, look at his great faith. And I think, man, if somebody told me to go sacrifice or somebody told me that they had a vision that they were supposed to sacrifice their child, I'd call child services. Yeah. Well, what's going on in this passage? That's so beautiful. It's actually God turning child sacrifice on its head. Mm. In other words, Abraham grows up in Ur of the Chaldeans in Southern Mesopotamia. He calls him out. And then when he gets Isaac, fast forward to when he's in his adolescence, he says, now go sacrifice him. At the moment he's about to sacrifice him, he says, stop. As if to say, Abram, the way that you thought you could demonstrate your greatest faith is through child sacrifice. You grew up in a culture where yeah. child sacrifice was normal. Stop. That's not normal for me. I'm not like the other gods. I don't mm. require you to sacrifice your child. And then the only child that would be sacrificed would be God's own son who wow. comes on his own. So what's interesting, it's actually flipping that piece. Mm -hmm. But what seems so bizarre, it wasn't actually Judaism and Yahweh that was bizarre. He was saying, stop it. It was the other cultures sure. that that was so seemingly normal. And I think that's that way on a lot of things there. Wow. So is there any, is there any room for blind faith in Christianity? Soren Kierkegaard uh, was a Dutch philosopher, and he lived uh, in Copenhagen and Denmark, and he lived in a time where he really struggled with the church. In fact, he didn't even go to church. He struggled with it so much. He suffered with um, just tremendous anxiety and depression. I think today he would have had, you know, a lot of mental health issues would have been the way mm -hmm. we'd have looked at someone like him. But what I appreciate about Kierkegaard is I don't agree with all the things that you have to say philosophically, right. but I do think that there are moments where um, we can't make sense of this thing. Mm. But I don't think that that is exclusively Christianity. Sure. I just think that there is this sense where God gives us enough evidence and enough light that we can say if apologetics provides a cumulative case, there are different slices of the pie. And when you compare pie for pie of every other belief system out there, I think Christianity makes the strongest case. But I still think that the pie is going to have like this missing slice where it's not going to make complete 100% sense. It, but it makes perfect sense that it wouldn't because there's no way that we're going to know everything. We're not omniscient. We don't yeah. have all knowledge. So there is this sense where I think that after we do all that research, I think that we can go, hey, given Christianity, in its case it has to offer, or given Islam, or given New Age, or given, you know, Wicca, or given atheism, this is why I think Christianity is the strongest. Mm -hmm. But I still think at the end of the day, I think it'd be disingenuous for me to say, it's just so airtight, you're not like feeling like you're taking a leap into the dark. And that's what Kierkegaard would talk about. Yeah, and you wow. mentioned one slice of the pie is missing because, like, we're not omniscient, but then there's another element where because God is so holy and otherworldly 
And not only can we not understand all the world around us, but we can't fully comprehend him in his fullness. Wouldn't that account for some of our inability to understand? You talk about these things through the scriptures and the the bizarre parts of the Bible. Like some of that is happening because we serve a God who can do the miraculous. The fact that it's called a miracle is is evident to the, the fact that it doesn't really make sense. So wouldn't that attribute to some of that pie missing as well? So if God exists, miracles are possible. That, yeah. that, so that's the good thing. On an apologetic standpoint, um, if people have problems with miracles, mm-hmm. I think what we can do is just say, look, the real issue is, does God exist? Yeah. And if God exists, then miracles are possible. Right. And so, yes, when we can step back from all the miracles and you just go, but if God exists, mm-hmm. then these miracles are possible. What really is the slam dunk for me, honestly, it, uh, in my own doubts, was the resurrection. Right. Mm. And here's why. Paul says, if Jesus hasn't raised from the dead, then our faith is futile and we're still in our sins. In other words, it's the linchpin. Uh, and if you can remove that linchpin, and I mean, I've done a lot of historical studies on just the great evidences for the resurrection of Christ. I think it's phenomenal. And then I've studied the objections to it and the objections are just absurd like i like you're just better off believing in the resurrection than coming up with one of the objections that are out there so that gives me comfort but here's the thing that really helped i could not explain away the resurrection and then it helped everything simplify so the way out of my doubt for me was it was to become like a child again Mm -hmm. in other words I, I was trying to get two questions answered. Never heard the gospel. I was 19 in California. That's how that wow. can happen. And I thought, wow, I mean, this is amazing. I mean, when I went to Bible college in Arkansas, yeah. it was like that was a foreign concept. But I never even heard the gospel. Yeah. I mean, who? You, I would watch Christmas and, he, you know, and then, you know, Easter time and TV. And who's this guy with a diaper on the cross, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it just did not make any sense to me. And when I heard um, the gospel, I was trying to get two questions answered. What do I do with my guilt and what's the purpose of life? So I become a Christian uh, through Greg Glory's preaching at Chuck Smith's church in Costa Mesa in Southern California at age 19. And then I went to Bible college because I wanted to understand my Christianity. Mm-hmm. So those two questions I was looking for by becoming a Christian through Jesus that he gives me purpose and he takes away my guilt. I go to Bible college to understand my Christianity. Then I went to get a master's of theology degree. So I wanted a theology degree to understand the Bible. Then I went and got an apologetics degree to understand my theology. Then I went and got a philosophy degree to better understand my apologetics. And out there in the sea of doubt, what ended up happening is the way out of my doubt was the way into the faith to begin with. Having faith like a child and coming to terms with just my finitude and I fell back in to Jesus, and it was simplified through the resurrection in this way, that if Jesus rose from the grave, then he really did die. And if he really did die, he really did live. And when he did live, he said he was going to die and rise from the grave. And when he did live, he validated the Old Testament. Wow. And if he validated the Old Testament in his first coming, can I trust that he would validate the, the New Testament in his second coming? Mm. And out of the resurrection, I was able to fall into the, if he rose, he died. If he died, he lived. And when he lived, he validated the Bible. And all those things in the Bible that are bizarre and that don't make sense to me, well, if he rose, it's no big deal. If he validated, it's good enough for me. And wow. it just simplified my faith again. Wow. Bobby, yeah. that, that, that's just encouraging to me personally. Um, 
Would you have any last word that you would give in the heart of this generation? I would say to this younger generation, it can be very discouraging to hear an older generation say, boy, I'd hate to be you. Uh, because every generation hears that, <laughs> thanks, right? Thanks for that. <laughs> you know, I'd hate to be you. I would want to say that there is hope. Uh, there's tremendous hope. The church, yes, it's going through dark times, but it's being pruned. And what'll be really refreshing is the true bride's going to stand up. We're going to be able to be light in this world. And I think that we need to be encouraged. And I would say to this young generation, uh, you know, if you're looking for a character in the Bible to study, study Daniel. Uh, mm -hmm. Learn how to be bold in a, in a culture that doesn't celebrate Christianity. Uh, don't compromise. And the last piece of advice that I would share is I read an article this week by Michael Brown, who's an apologist, and he said this young Gen Z, they're amazing at empathy. Wow. They have a heart for anything that appears to be unjust or any inequity. But he offered a word of caution. He said, in your ability to be empathetic, watch out for the trapping of that strength being turned into an evil where empathy begins to validate things that God would never have us validating. Wow. So in our heart to be empathetic to people, don't validate things that God has not validated. And I would say, use your empathy as a young generation to reach people for Jesus. Uh, you can validate people's pain, but then remember to have a Daniel-like spirit that doesn't compromise on God's word. Well, this has been the Lead Defend Podcast. Bobby, how can people follow you? You have an incredible YouTube channel. Yeah, please go check out uh, the channel. It's called Christianity Still Makes Sense on YouTube. And there's a podcast as well called Christianity Still Makes Sense, and they can catch that there. And a book coming out by the same title this next year. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's about 12 or 14 months from pub being published, but it's already finished. <laughs> yep, that's great. That's great. Well, hey, this has been Lead Defend, and Lead Defend, the conference, is always around the corner. So go to leaddefend.org for more information. Until next time, this has been Brock and Ryan. That's it for this episode of Lead Defend. To hear more episodes from the Lead Defend crew, visit absc.org slash podcasts. If you liked what you heard, rate and review us on your favorite podcast listening site. Want to learn more information about the next Lead Defend conference? Visit leaddefend.org.